Isn't it funny what you remember from grade school? When I think about my first grade classroom, the one, one of the things that stands out in my mind is the venerable old bulletin board. Now, I don't know if teachers still use bulletin boards these days, but, but when I was coming along, every classroom had a bulletin board, and the bulletin board reached something of a high art form. It was impressive. When you arrived at the beginning of the year, it would be all decked out with images that were meant to evoke that back-to-school spirit. There'd be cutouts of large pencils and crayons. There'd be a picture of notebook paper depicting someone's handwriting much better than mine. I never would get that penmanship, but the A, big A, little B, big B, little C. And no back-to-school bulletin board would be complete without the requisite idealized picture of the Little Red Schoolhouse with its bell tower and weather vane on top. But the real power of the bulletin board was that it signaled for us the coming of a new season. At some point in October, the back-to-school theme would disappear, and like magic, it would be replaced with shades of orange and yellow and black. There'd be the picture of a little pumpkin a little black cat with its back arched up and its hair standing on end. And then in November, the bulletin board would change again. There'd be a new theme with new images that simultaneously embodied and evoked our excitement about Thanksgiving. Even the lesser events on the calendar, Valentine's Day, St. Patrick's Day, Memorial Day, would be given their time to shine on the venerable classroom bulletin board. That board, it had the power to stoke our excitement about the coming season. But it also helped to orient us and teach us as we traveled through the year. I don't ever remember my parents saying anything to me about President's Day, but I can tell you I, I still picture that, that image of George Washington there on the bulletin board. Well, in a similar way, the colors of the church's seasons, white, green, red, purple, blue, signal for us our movement through the events of the church's calendar each and every year. This calendar has been handed down for centuries in the church because it helps to teach us and orient us as we make our way, not only through the year, but through our Christian lives. Now, most of the time, the church's calendar is just sort of plodding along in the background, unnoticed. But from time to time, that calendar steps back into view to teach us or encourage us. Much like those days when we arrived at school to find that the bulletin board was signaling something new. Well, friends, today is one of those days Today, we come to an interesting place in the church's calendar, what I would call an in-between place or a waiting place. Six weeks ago, we celebrated the Feast of the Resurrection here at St. Philip's on Easter Day, and if you were here, then you know that it was quite a day for us. But in our tradition, Easter is not just a day, it's an entire season, 50 days of Easter that we celebrate. It begins on Easter Sunday, and it goes all the way to the Feast of Pentecost, which we will celebrate next week. And when you come again next week, everything here that's white, our stoles and these hangings, will be replaced with the color red. But backing up, every day when we get 40 days into that 50-day season of Easter, we arrive at a special Thursday, the Feast of the Ascension, 
which took place just a few days ago. And on that day, we remember that after Jesus was raised from the dead, he ascended up to the Father. Now, why on earth do we celebrate the Feast of the Ascension 40 days into the season of Easter? Because that's when it happened. You may not have picked up on it in that passage from Acts that Bill just read for us, but let me reread for you verse 3. Jesus presented himself alive to his disciples after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during, here it is, 40 days, and speaking about the kingdom of God. Some years ago, I was in a small group Bible study with a, with, with a bunch of men, and we were uh, studying the book of Acts, and when we got to that verse, we had to stop because one of the guys slammed down his hand on the table and said, I never knew that Jesus spent 40 days hanging out with his disciples after, the, uh, after he was raised from the dead. He said, I, I thought that Jesus was resurrected. He came out of the tomb. He made a quick appearance and then took the next flight on into heaven. But no, Jesus spent 40 days Teaching, eating fish with his friends on the beach, having a grand old time. And every year the church's calendar reminds us that Jesus did not rise from the dead and then split town. No, he engaged his followers for 40 days. Every year the calendar is a witness to the fact it reminds us and encourages us that there are 40 days worth of encounters with the resurrected Jesus that stand as historic evidence that Jesus was raised from the dead. So this past Thursday was the Feast of the Ascension. But right before Jesus ascended up into heaven, he gathered his apostles around and he made them a promise. Listen again to Acts chapter 1, verse 4. And while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And after making that promise that he would send the Holy Spirit, Jesus ascended up into heaven and left his disciples behind. And that's where we are today. Jesus has promised to send the Holy Spirit, but that promise has not yet been fulfilled. Now, Jesus didn't tell his disciples how long they were going to have to wait. A week? A month? A year? Nor did he tell them what they were supposed to be doing while they were waiting. He just told them to wait. Now, nobody likes to wait. And more than that, nobody likes to wait when you don't know how long it is you're going to be waiting. Think about when you make a call to customer service. It's a whole lot easier to wait when the robot on the other end tells you that your estimated wait time is three minutes. Okay, I can wait for three minutes. But when you get one of those robots that doesn't have the technology to tell you how long you're going to be waiting, well, if you're like me, then the stress level begins to go up and you begin to say, how long am I going to be on this phone call? Waiting. 
Nobody likes to wait. And furthermore, in the advent of Amazon Prime two-day delivery and instant messaging and all the host of other near-instant conveniences that you and I get to enjoy, my hunch is that our grandparents were a lot better at waiting than we are. No, in the words of that strange prophet of old, Thomas Petty, the waiting is the hardest part. But that's where the disciples are. And all joking aside, that may be where you are today. Waiting for God to show up. Waiting for God to act. Maybe you are stuck in a job that feels like a dead end. Maybe you are waiting on healing. Physical healing, emotional healing, spiritual healing, the healing of a broken relationship. Maybe you are waiting and hoping to have children, waiting on a diagnosis, waiting for an opportunity or an open door, waiting for God to show up, waiting for God to act. And while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Friends, waiting's hard. But waiting is very much a part of the Christian journey. And in today's passages from Acts and John, we have a word of encouragement for us as we wait, and we have two words of practical advice. First, the encouragement. Every year on this strange Sunday that stands between the Feast of the Ascension and the Feast of Pentecost, we are given a portion of the longest prayer that Jesus ever prayed. He prayed this prayer at the Last Supper, right before he was going to go to the cross. And in that prayer, Jesus prayed for three things. He prayed for his mission. He was about to go to his cross. He prayed for his 11 apostles, because at that point, Judas had left the scene. But friends, he also prayed for you. Listen again to his prayer, picking up at verse 20 from John. I do not ask for these only, that is for the 11 remaining apostles, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Friends, that's you. He's praying for you that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Friends, if you are in a waiting place, an in-between place, if you are waiting for God to show up, I, I pray you will take heart from this prayer. Jesus has prayed that his purpose for you will be fulfilled. Which means that even if you can't see what his purpose is for you in this season of your life, you can know and trust that he is working it out right now. One of the great things about getting older, and as an aside, we do a lot of complaining about getting older. You know, people love to complain about getting older. We Christians would do well to celebrate the gifts of getting older. Wisdom. Maturity. Perspective. 
But one of the great blessings about getting older is that when you start to look back, you discover that God does not waste anything in your life. All those times in my life, just by way of personal testimony, all those times when I felt like I was spinning my wheels or stuck in some situation or going nowhere, I can see now looking back that God was at work in those seasons in my life, even though I couldn't see it at the time. Friends, sometimes in the waiting, God is preparing you. He's doing something in you. Sometimes in the waiting, God is preparing something out there, some situation that he has for you, and he will take his time to prepare it. And sometimes God keeps you where you are because he has an assignment for you. And you might not discover what that assignment is until years later. God is amazing. I cannot tell you how many times uh, when I have been in one of these seasons, when I felt like I've been pulled off the field, put on the sidelines, stuck on the bench, and as I'm sitting there feeling sorry for myself, I made some offhanded comment to someone who was in my life at that time. Maybe it was a word of encouragement. Maybe it was a word of blessing. Maybe it was an offer to pray for someone. Maybe it was, you know, just a, a, a mealy-mouthed, lukewarm testimony to God's faithfulness in my life. A throwaway line. I cannot tell you how many times I have come to discover years later that God took what to me was a throwaway line and he used it to change someone's life. Friends, my point is, in Christ, waiting time is never wasted time. Never in God's hands. He is working his purpose out in you. Even if you are stuck in a hospital bed, God may want you to speak to the medical staff, speak a word of truth. Even if you're stuck in a dead-end job, he may want to speak through you to witness to a coworker. So friends, take heart. Waiting time is never wasted time in Christ. His prayer for you is that his purpose will be fulfilled and what Jesus prays happens. So that's the encouragement. What practical advice can we take from the apostles while they waited for the coming of the Holy Spirit? Listen again to verse 14 from Acts. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In other words, while they waited, the disciples devoted themselves to two things, prayer and fellowship. Let me just say a word about each of those. When you find yourself in a waiting time, an in-between time, it can be very easy to get discouraged. And when we get discouraged, oftentimes we will let go of the very things that can actually help us. So friends, I just want to say to you, as your brother in Christ, as your pastor, if you are in a waiting place and you have set aside that daily time with the Lord, that time of prayer, seeking him in his word, listening to him, and then speaking back to him the things of your heart, I want to urge you, to encourage you, to return to that practice. What Jesus prayed is that we would be one in him, that we would have intimacy with him. But to have that intimacy, we've got to give him that time, day in and day out, of prayer. 
So friends, if you have lost heart, if you have given up on your time of daily prayer, I want to encourage you on behalf of the Lord to return to that practice of prayer. That's the first thing they devoted themselves to, prayer. And the second is fellowship. Friends, we need each other. Now, sometimes our pride gets the best of us and we think, I don't need anybody, but we do. The Christian life is not a solo life. And as we prepare for this season in the church's year, as we enter into the summertime and many of the opportunities for fellowship go into recess, then I I want to charge you all, to encourage you all um, to take up the call to seek opportunities for fellowship with other Christians. Invite somebody over for dinner. Invite someone out uh, for coffee to pray together. Perhaps God is even calling you to to create a little short-term Bible study with 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 a group of Christians. The point is we are to commit ourselves to fellowship. So I encourage you to take those opportunities, to seek them, to create them, that you might join together with your brothers and sisters to devote yourselves to fellowship. Now, along that same line, I want to say one more thing about fellowship. In a moment, we're going to pray over our high school seniors uh, as they prepare to move on to whatever's next for them. For many of them, it's going to be an in-between time that they're stepping into. They will be in between high school and independent living as adults. It'll be a time of preparation. So I want to say a word to all of you high school graduates. The most important thing you can do in this next season of your life is to take the apostles' lead and find yourself a community of Christians that you can be part of. This is more important than picking your major. This is more important than joining a sorority or a fraternity. This is more important even than signing up for your classes. Find a Christian community that you can be part of, that you can throw yourself into whole hog. Seniors, everything else, I promise you, is just details when compared to the importance of becoming part of a Christian community. We need each other. And while staying with them, Jesus ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. Friends, in the Christian life, there will be seasons of waiting, waiting for God to act. May God grant you the grace to take to heart this prayer of Jesus and to know and trust that he is working out his purposes in you and through you, even if you can't see it. And may you call upon his Holy Spirit to reawaken within you the life of prayer and to rekindle in your heart a desire to connect with other members of the body, to engage in fellowship with Christians. For when the time is right and when the Lord is ready, he will act. And having done his work in you during this season of waiting, you will will be ready for what's next. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that even as you were facing the cross, what was on your heart and mind um, were your people, was your people. 
Thank you for your prayer for us. Thank you for your promise that you are working your plan out in us and through us, even in our seasons of waiting. Grant us, we pray, the gift of your Holy Spirit to reawaken in us a commitment to prayer and a commitment to join together in fellowship. Lord, that we as individuals and that we as a body might grow from strength to strength and that seeing us, the world might know that you have come into the world to bring life and life abundant. For we ask these things in your precious and powerful name. Amen.